Quantlayer is a software consultancy based in Brooklyn, New York. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Quantlayer. The information presented should not be construed as investment advice. Guests may maintain positions in assets mentioned in the podcast. This is Vikram from Quantlayer. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As software teams begin to move to serverless, they will require more in the way of serverless-specific tooling, cost tracking, alerting, monitoring, and so on. Here we look at a number of serverless tooling providers and discuss what they bring and how they will compete with traditional tooling services. Enjoy. Quantlayer here, Vikram speaking. I'm joined by Fizan, also known as the Wizard. What's going on, Fizan? Not much. So last time we talked about serverless and why it's so interesting to us. We went over a few of the main players out there like AWS and Azure and what they're doing, um, benefits of serverless, what it brings teams, uh, its trade-offs, and so on. There's another layer to all this, which would be good to get into. So these are things like tooling providers. These are the types of uh, services on the layer that will have to grow as serverless grows. So I think it's also become apparent with the amount of funding capital that's been deployed to these kind of tooling providers recently. Uh, we've seen some pretty decent raises for these early stage guys. So that's what we're going to go over today. Yeah, you know, as we've discussed before, it looks like serverless is definitely a uh, growing trend. The way you go about doing things in a serverless paradigm is very different than how things were done before. And what this means is not only is there a lot of opportunity for, you know, the Google Cloud platforms or the AWS Lambda sort of providers, but all of the other stuff that comes along with web development, people providing your logging, monitoring, alerting, all of those sorts of services, uh, everything kind of works a little bit differently. So there's opportunity for new players. And we've been seeing that, as you mentioned, alluded to the raises, like it feels like I see some serverless company raise the Series A like every other day yeah. these days. Yeah. And I think the best place to start would be to just sort of at a high level, look at what are the tools that need to exist or that are beginning to exist. And so there's this, uh, you know, cloud native interactive landscape. It's like landscape.cncf.io. And they do a really good job of keeping track of all of the players in the space both for more broadly cloud-native, but uh, particularly serverless. And they have it broken down into five categories, and I think it's worth uh, discussing each of those five categories Yep. just to help, because you know you see these raises every other day, and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around what each of these companies is doing and how it fits into the big picture. Yep. So the first thing I want to talk about is a hosted versus installable platform, which is sort of the core of okay, I have something I want to build, where do I deploy it? Or where is, is, is it going to be pushed to? And really, this is the serverless version of like deploy it yourself versus using the cloud. Although in, in this case, you would use the cloud in both instances. And what I mean by that is in hosted platform, everything is taken care of uh, for you, but you just push up the code. So really all you're responsible for is the actual code that's going to be executed on the service. So this is what you think of when you think AWS Lambda, Azure Functions, uh, your GCP stuff. And there, there's a number of other uh, providers 
doing that. And that's just for ex- code execution. There's also, you know, you can have specialized services in this space. So people don't think of it, but like, uh, you know, Twilio functions or something like that would also be considered a hosted platform. Basically, you're responsible for specifying what you want to happen, and then everything else is taken care of for you. Everything else, meaning all the code gets executed on their platform. Yeah, the, the yeah, providing a server, a runtime, any sort of perform like everything that needs to happen to execute that code, including providing a runtime, starting up the container in which the function is going to run, that sort yep. of thing. And then uh, on the flip side, uh, there's installable platform, and this is a bit more of a uh, you own more of the solution, but you take on more of the responsibility. And this is really built on top of uh, containerization technology. So the idea here is that, you know, ultimately you're still going to be using the cloud or I guess in theory you could use your own servers. Um, You need somewhere to execute uh, the installed platform. But rather than just being responsible for the code, you use one of these uh, tools. And, you know, there's uh, Knative, Apache OpenWhisk, there's uh, OpenFast which is like a open source function as a service library. And the idea here is that rather than, you know, AWS providing the entire runtime for you, here you you are the provider of your runtime using some sort of a containerization mm-hmm. technology like Docker. And so you you would still have the developer workflow that serverless has where essentially your development is just on writing functions and triggering functions and connecting them. So the development workflow, the serverless is the same, but you do take on a little bit of DevOps responsibility in the sense that you do have this like container orchestration piece that's going to mimic the hosted environments that something like a Lambda provides. So what's a what's a use case of this? Like, why would you choose OpenFast over Lambda? Like, what kind of applications might be good for that? So a big scenario we've talked about is um, one of the big issues with hosted is uh, you're tied to a single provider. If that is not an option for you, if you need to be able to be sort of provider independent with your code execution, yep. you take on some more DevOps responsibility. And then with an environment like this, you can deploy on any traditional cloud offering, but your workflow is still that of a serverless workflow. And then your DevOps flow is sort of creating this platform on which you deploy your containers and runtimes for your serverless code. Gotcha. Because some of the stuff we talked about in the past with the benefits of like, Choosing AWS is that it they handle a lot of the well they handle all of the server management and all that. You still would have to do that with this, no? You, you would absolutely, but it's a little bit different. You know, as we've seen in our development with Elixir, as you're building like larger modern applications, there's become a very tight coupling of DevOps and like mm-hmm. the development workflow. And what I feel like what serverless has done is allow you to step back and do a little more of a microservices architecture or uh, take an approach where the developer can really just focus on the code and less so how it ties to the DevOps details. And so I think there's still benefits to this approach. If you want something that's still like your core dev team still takes on that serverless workflow and then you have a DevOps team responsible for creating a platform for them to deploy to you. So from the perspective of your development team, whether they're deploying to your platform or to Lambda, gotcha. their workflow is the same, but you can be spread out across multiple cloud providers. So I think there's still uh, advantages here for an organization that can bring that sort of DevOps skill set. 
and that has the hard requirement of not being entirely dependent on a single cloud provider. I'm just looking at this like these installable platforms on the cloud native landscape site we mentioned. So there's, you know, we talked about OpenFest. Don't necessarily know what all these guys do. How about Native? And that's that's a name that pops up a lot. What's their deal? Yeah, uh, yeah. Native with like a K. So they're uh, basically built on top of uh, Kubernetes. Yep. So it's basically a tool set for managing, like using Kubernetes for uh, creating your platform. Okay. So Kubernetes is like a container orchestration. So if you're using, uh, you know, Docker, and then you're going to have like lots of different Docker containers doing different things. You need to manage that. Uh, Knative, which I'm assuming is a play on like Kubernetes native, because um, mm-hmm. it's like a cloud native tool, helps manage that workflow. So it would basically be, you know, you have Kubernetes, but that's a little lower level. And Knative would give you a higher level interface to build your application on and yep. like develop to. Just to... Uh... Maybe like clarify some of the hosted versus installable concerns. So when we built that application where we had an Elixir backend and when we had Lambdas kind of process a bunch of incoming text messages and also photos, like we did that, all that stuff on the serverless side. And we chose AWS for that for a number of reasons. This was a couple of years ago. Obviously, things have changed since then, but uh, a lot of it in, in the better direction. Would one of these installable platforms have been a good choice, or would that kind of have been overkill for what we were doing? I think it was overkill for what we were doing uh, for two reasons. One, the majority of our application was a you know, traditional Elixir app, and we had a little bit of Lambda code, but it was really just a handful of Lambdas, and we were already committed to AWS. So we didn't have the requirements of having to be uh, provider agnostic. In fact, yeah. we had to be an AWS. And two, uh, the installable platform does create its own DevOps overhead in the sense that you have to familiarize yourself with, say, Knative and Kubernetes and Docker containers. And just for this purpose of a handful of Lambdas, it would have been, uh, I think, unnecessary overhead in our case. And I guess the big reason we chose that anyway was because of the amount of because we're expecting a lot of incoming uh, messages, right? And that's another things we would have to we would yeah, have to a yeah. set of things we'd have to handle anyway. You'd have to manage your own yeah. scaling a little. Yeah, exactly. And it's maybe not a one to one analogy, but if you think of like why you would choose cloud versus rolling your own servers, or not rolling, but like run, operating your own servers, you would operate your own servers. Because you have the wherewithal to manage all of that, and you have a hard, like requirement that yep. justifies the additional overhead to manage your own servers. So, in the same way, this is like managing your own serverless infrastructure. Either you just have the cloud do it for you, or you know you're still deploying these potentially on the cloud, but you're managing more of the like nuts mm-hmm. and bolts of how the infrastructure is set up. And so, you really want to have like a, yep. a hard requirement for going this route. Yeah, so that that's sort of the two installable versus hosted. And then um, there's three other, like that's the DevOps side. And then there's the, on the workflow side, there's three other domains, you know, frameworks, tooling, and security. Uh, security, I think we're just starting to see serverless specific solutions come up. Uh, you know, again, on CNCF, there's Protego and ThreatStack. And they do a couple of interesting things. So what's interesting about, you know, like if you use AWS serverless functions is that each resource, like each Lambda, each 
database, everything mm-hmm. that interacts has a different level of permissions. And so like your attack surface with a serverless application is very, very different than just having like a EC2 instance running. And so you need solutions that are much more in line with how the permissioning model works and how traffic is flowing. So Protego, for example, actually scans your infrastructure and makes sure that uh, resources don't have more privileges than they need, which is pretty cool. Another thing that they do is look at how functions behave normally to see if there's any unusual behavior. So we're just starting to see sort of serverless-specific security solutions arising. What are some of the security concerns that are pretty, like, affect serverless more than they would traditional? So a big one is the permissioning. You know, the way permissions are handled, it's on that per resource level. And it's very easy when you get going to give something way more permissions than it should have. Because it's it's a little bit opaque how permissioning works with some of these cloud mm-hmm. providers across like each of your resources. And so it's it's relatively easy to get into a situation where things are over permissioned or able to do way more than they need to do. So having a third party tools that are able to analyze that is pretty helpful. The other thing is because your whole architecture and the way your data is flowing and what has permissions is uh, different, if you have any sort of like compliance requirements, it's going to be totally different. And so, you know, ThreatStack is another company and one of their things that they help with is actually compliance. So if you have any uh, things that you need to be compliant with, again, like examining your your, your infrastructure is going to be a little bit different in serverless. And I guess there's some level of like attack surface too. Because like functions are one thing, right? Yeah. Each function, if it's, I'm just thinking AWS land, if each function is its own resource, you know, the more functions you have, the potential wider uh, net you cast that where there's a potential for attack. I guess that's that's another way to think about it as well. Yeah, exactly. So rather than having like, oh, I have an application running on these two EC2 instances, and here's my firewall, you know, because the tra- like these they're they're inside of VPC. Here's the like endpoint that connects them. You do have this like interconnected web of functions, uh, databases, whatever other resources you're doing, and so it does become much harder to track like right. your security settings across all of that. And so we're going to see, uh, we are seeing serverless specific tooling rise up that helps manage the sort of cognitive load of tracking all of those things. And you're right, it, does, it is pretty easy to, like when you spin things up for the first time, you can say you you you, you like, you open up an AWS account, you know, that's going to be your root user and you just want to try some stuff out. But suddenly you have like, you've just opened up a bunch of areas for that can become problematic. It seems like AWS, like it's very easy with a lot of policies to just grant different things like full access. Yes. And it's not, uh, like I said, it's, all the big cloud providers have very complicated like policy and permissioning systems, which yeah. is necessary for their enterprise clients. Right. But for new users uh, who are unfamiliar with those systems, it's very confusing and it's very easy to do things wrong. Or what you often see is out of like frustration or just people don't want to be stuck on that. They just give very broad permissions so that that's not tripping them up. Right. And in production, that needs to be dealt with. And so tooling for that is key. Yep. And then, uh, you know, we've discussed security and then there's a framework and tools. So framework is obviously very important. You know, when you do traditional web development, let's say you have a language you like, we like Elixir. We have a framework we like. We like working with uh, Phoenix. 
you might have a set of build tools or deploy tools that you work with, and that becomes your sort of whole like code build deploy system. With serverless, because your code is so tightly coupled to your infrastructure, it's really important to have a code build and deploy system. Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to see these things pop as well. The two big players, one, AWS has this uh, SAM, which is a serverless application model, which is a CLI for managing your development workflow. So it sort of integrates into your code base and lets you keep track of your both infrastructure and code uh, simultaneously and also helps with uh, doing builds and deploys and just managing the whole system. Another big player in the space is uh, serverless. And they're going for more of an agnostic role. So they're trying to become, do a lot of what Sam is doing, but be a, a agnostic to AWS or any given cloud provider and rather be a solution for, for everything. So kind of like how we used to use uh, Terraform for our infrastructure management, because you could use Terraform for GCP or AWS or Azure or whatever. I think the idea is here is you could develop in the serverless framework and then develop and deploy to multiple or simultaneously to multiple cloud providers or anyone. And they're the two most advanced from what I've seen in terms of like a full fat solution with that gives you the whole code mm -hmm. and build and deploy. And then there's a lot of specialized solutions or like little solutions that are popping up as well. So there's like Chalice, which is a like specifically a Python uh, micro framework. Um, so it doesn't give you all of the stuff that Sam does, but it helps you deploy uh, Python code into AWS. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's specific for Python. It's specific for Python. Can you think about it as like Flask except for serverless? Or like, what's the right way to think about that? No, it's not quite. The, the analogies don't work. And the reason is because all of these frameworks are managing both infrastructure and code in a way that like any web framework didn't. And so all of them are going to be a combination of like the web framework, but a lot less framework because functions by definition should be relatively small code-wise. And mm -hmm. a lot more of the uh, build and deploy tooling. So it's a lot more like if you think of like a front-end having a uh, webpack almost than it is like having Flask, if that makes sense. Like the things that like something like a webpack would do for you. To me, a lot of this stuff feels a lot more uh, config heavy. It is. Is that a product of like, because it's so new and that'll change over time? Or is it some other reason? It may get better over time, but it's fundamentally serverless is half infrastructure, half code or some other uh, split. So by, by its very nature, it's going to be config heavy because you're basically defining small snippets of code and then configuring how they interact with each other right. and where they should go. Right. And so that's going to be the case, but hopefully the tooling will make it a lot less confusing and like wordy. I, like a big reason is you, you can't have this giant uh, YAML file that manages everything, right? It's yeah, just, it's, a, it's a really obnoxious way to work, this, yeah. like just adding these huge YAML files. And, you know, this gets us into the last item, which was tools. And... We're actually seeing that. So uh, there's this uh, stackery.io. Yep. And one of the things that they're doing, which is pretty slick, if you actually go to their site, you see that basically 
by drawing a cloud diagram of like your functions and API gateway and resources, it actually outputs the YAML. That is cool. So it's pretty slick. So, uh, you know, to your point about like, it's just these giant YAML files that are a nuisance. Um, we're starting to see solutions to help uh, visualize and even generate the YAML in a way that like, again, makes a lot more sense yep. to us as people and not like YAML machines. Right. And the tools section is actually some of the most interesting in the space because, okay, hosted and installable, you, they're all kind of going to have to do the same thing. Yep. Frameworks, it's largely clear what sort of problems they have to solve. You know, They have to give you build and deploy in a dev environment. But in the on the tooling side, we're seeing some really innovative new things. So you know, we pointed out Stackery where you draw a cloud diagram and you get uh, the YAML for actually spinning up that mm-hmm. infrastructure. So that's pretty slick. We have you know, like you have New Relic for like let's say web development that would essentially track the performance of like your different web pages or API calls. It might provide some like additional monitoring and analytics. So what's neat about Lambdas or uh, serverless in general is because each function operates essentially in isolation on its Mm -hmm. own little server, you can measure both performance but also costs on like a per feature basis. And so I thought this was really neat. So, you know, if I have a Lambda that just does a specific thing and it's, you know, 128 megabytes and I'm being charged and it runs for three seconds. And so it costs me, I'm just going to make up like three cents and it gets called a hundred times a day. Like that specific Lambda costs is costing me $3 a day in a, a vacuum of everything else. And so if I have three or four Lambdas that have to do with say a signup workflow, I know exactly what that thing is costing me. Um, or if I build out a feature that's like, you know, no one is using or only my non-paying users use, but it's like 90% of my server costs. There's some really cool uh, analysis you can do on cost tracking. That is very cool. Yeah. Yeah, because from an operational perspective, you could figure out how to lower those costs. Lower those costs or see where, where you should spend the most money. Right. Um, like, oh, all of our highest paying users really seem to sp- uh, spend time here, but there's like some performance issues. So maybe we'll optimize our, our dev spend here. Right. So there's a level of insight that's really slick. Similarly, this the same company, Cloud Zero, you know, we get our server bills and you get them at the end of the month. And sometimes it's an unpleasant surprise. Yeah. Because serverless is all pay for what you use, it's good because you're not paying when you're not using it. But when it's like bursty, it's hard to predict what your actual costs are going to be. And another thing that you can do, because you know exactly what your costs are, essentially on a per request basis, you can get alerted within hours rather than waiting till the end of the month if your costs are spiking or anything unusual is happening. And then, you know, there's uh, another interesting thing I saw in tools, this company, Hasura, H-A-S-U-R-A. And what I like what, uh, about what they're doing is they essentially are a API on top of Postgres. And you can expose your database using GraphQL. And they also use the Postgres's native triggers to essentially create webhooks on database events. So what's neat about this is you don't have to write as much backend logic to create like a, a GraphQL API on top of your data mm-hmm. and also an event-based like event-based triggers on your database. So you can have a relatively heavy client, like let's say a React app or a mobile app 
that's tied directly to your database and is able to do a lot more without having as heavy duty of a backend. Mm-hmm. So I think that lends itself uh, to serverless development very well. So I guess uh, use cases for this uh, that I can take up off the top of my head would be like, say, sign up workflow. Like you don't want until the user gets, well, the, when a user gets generated into the database, you could like um, set off a bunch of uh, triggers. Yeah, you could trigger an email. You could have something in app happen without having that be business logic on the back end. Yep. Like let's say you have a mobile app. The moment a user confirms their email and it updates the database field, you could create an in-app uh, notification that like flags their role and and lets them access different stuff. There's just which would have before required like a whole back end component. One of the really cool things about serverless and the fact that all these tools are growing is that you can really separate concerns. Like there's no reason some of that stuff should be in your server code. Like there's really, you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can really have like a much fatter client and then have your, uh, what would have been a backend really just be much lighter, lighter weight. Yep. Which I think is in line with a lot of what front end is doing, but also I think is a boon for mobile. Yeah, because there there have always been these like backend as a solution products for mobile, but they were very limited by their API. And I think here it's it's going to create a lot more um, the breadth of what is possible for backend as a like a backend without having to write much backend code is really transformed. Yep. And then uh, we're seeing a lot of innovation in this tool space, and a lot of people doing all the usual like errors, logging, tracing, metrics. IDEs, but I just wanted to highlight some of the ones that I thought were most interesting. And we'll be keeping an eye on all this stuff, see what pops up. But I'm also curious how this is going to affect the uh, existing players. You know, we've we've already talked about all of our like recently IPOing like cloud companies that are starting to offer functions or some sort of serverless offerings. But then mm-hmm. all of the like the new relics of the world. If like you're an investor in New Relic, it's worth examining how they're positioned to compete with a lot of these other players and what they're doing in this space, because I think it is going to be the future. I, you know, and a lot of these are early enough that they could, you know, instead of spending all the time they need to on on product development, they could just go buy some of these smaller guys. Yeah. And it's early days, but I think we're going to see a lot of that activity because a lot of these companies are very, they're doing really cool stuff and they're going to be a threat. Yep. Because it's again, it's a new way of doing development, so you're not going to default to the same tools uh, because a lot of those tools will feel clunky compared to some of the new offerings that are, you know, serverless from the ground up. Yep. Hey everyone, you've got Vikram here again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please drop us a rating on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, drop me a line at Vikram at quantlayer.com. That's V-I-K-R-A-M at Q-U-A-N-T-L-A-Y-E-R.com. Thanks.